Welcome to this week's episode of the Get to the Contest Small Business Podcast. Now, this week uh, I've got an expert joining us who is going to talk to us about um, shareholder disputes and shareholder disagreements and what to do about it and what we can do to to prevent things getting out of control in the event of disputes. So, uh, joining us today, I've got uh, Michelle Aitken, a Senior Associate with Aubrey Brown Lawyers. Uh, Michelle's an expert in commercial law and litigation and is going to share some really uh, great ideas and, and information around the importance of having partnership or shareholders agreements in place. So welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thanks, Laurie. Um, so, if you're a sole trader and you're running your own show, you probably don't need a uh, your own agreement. But many businesses uh, have two or, or more people as part of the business. Um, often, mates or friends get involved together, or, or people that have joined up for whatever reason. Why should we have a, a shareholders agreement? So there's a couple of reasons why you should. The first is it makes expectations really clear at the outset so everyone knows what they're getting into, that everyone's on the same page around it. The second reason is when things go wrong or if someone wants to exit, no matter what terms they're on, it makes it a lot easier for everyone to part ways more amicably than to have a big fight about it at the end. Great. So what you're saying is setting the expectations up front, um, like in most relationships, uh, misplaced expectations often are the cause of tension, um, and my wife can vouch for that. Uh, but uh, uh, love you, darling. Uh, but you know, getting clear on what what's expected, and and basically, you know, putting it into a sporting context, making making sure we're playing the same sport. So you're not playing soccer, and I'm playing Australian rules. We, we, we're both playing the same game, and know what position we're playing, and and who's responsible for what. Exactly. So you think of it like a commercial sort of prenup agreement. Yep. Great. Now. Um, relationships break down at a personal or a, or, an, or at a business level. Um, what happens if we don't have a, a partnership or, or a shareholders agreement? So it really comes down to the relationship between the parties. If everyone's getting on great at the time and you can negotiate something, not a problem. You can put that in writing and move on. But most of the time, even if people are getting on really, really well, as soon as there's any sort of money involved, there's going to be some sort of issue somewhere. So some of the time it can be resolved without too much heartache, but then the other times it ends up in a position where there's really nowhere you can go but court, which no one really wants to go to. Which is a good way of you know being stressful, costly, distraction to the business. Yeah, um, everyone's and, got better things to do, basically. Yes, so we, we want to avoid that, and, and this is coming from a lawyer that we want to avoid that, so uh, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that. So, um, so what are the sort of things that you would include in a typical, obviously every case is, a, is different, but what's, what, what's the sort of typical things you'd cover off on for two, two people in a, an agreement or more people, more than one? So it covers off on a lot of things. And one thing that's really important that most people don't realise is that you can customise it basically as much as you want and tailor it to your own particular businesses. So the starting point for what it covers off on is how the business operates day to day. So who are the directors? Who are the shareholders? Who is responsible for making what types of decisions? So you might say that certain types of decisions you want all of the shareholders to have a vote on, other types you're happy to leave to the directors to make day to day. So, for example, if you're buying new stationery for the office, you don't want every shareholder to be involved. If you're taking out a loan for a million dollars, everyone's going to want to say in that one. 
So that's the first thing that you can look at covering off on. The next thing that you can look at is what happens if someone wants to leave the business. So there are lots of different reasons why that might occur. It might be that someone wants to retire, someone might have a change in life circumstances and want to sell out, or it could be that the relationship's completely fallen apart with everyone. So why a shareholder agreement's really important is it sets what's going to occur at a stage where everyone's getting along and no one knows who's going to leave the business first. So you're more likely to end up with really reasonable and balanced clauses than everyone having an argument once they know who wants to leave. So it sets out things like how the business is valued. So it might be something where you get a valuer involved, you might be able to agree on a price based on a multiplier, depends on the type of business. It also sets out having to make an offer to the other shareholders first and what happens if they don't want to buy your shares or units or whatever else it might be, and then the process for getting outside parties involved. So those are the main aspects it covers off on, so how it operates and how it all comes to an end. Yeah, really important to get that sorted while everyone's happy and healthy and, and actually liking have, each other and actually liking it and being able to sit around the same table uh, and, and before anyone's got there any any certain agendas or, or things they're looking to push exactly so it takes a lot of the animosity out of it because everyone knows what's going to happen as soon as someone puts their hand up and says I want to leave okay, so really just a structure and a set of rules and guidelines that people agree to which presumably are binding at a legal level um, yeah to take the heat out of the situation when invariably things fall over. Exactly. And look, if people get to the end of a relationship in a business and decide, look, what's in the shareholders agreement doesn't work for us, we all want to do something different, you're not required to stick to it in that instance. But as soon as someone has a different view, then that's what governs it. Yeah. And I guess there would be cases where people just want to get out happily and they go their separate ways. Um, and the way it was explained to me by a mentor years ago, uh, a long time ago, was you know, partnership agreements or, or shareholders agreements. Um, this thing, you, you may not think you'll ever use it, uh, and it may never get used, but you, you, it's probably shown its value then because what it has done, as you've said, it, it's made everyone aware of the rules at the beginning. So Yeah, exactly. And look, the best case scenario is you don't look at it for 20 years, if at all, but you're better off spending a relatively small amount of money at the outset than hundreds of thousands of dollars later on having an argument in court about it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, because those costs, as soon as we're going to court, uh, infinitely, um more expensive and, and more stressful and, and the other cost, so I know I'm just talking legal costs, but the cost of the business at a time when perhaps two parties are, are not getting on, uh, that the actual business itself can go from being worth something to nothing because of the distraction and it affects your clients, your customers, your team. The um, reputation. Your reputation. Everything. It, it, everything can be lost because the, the failure to invest early on, a, on a, a fairly nominal sum in the greater scheme of things. So, um, so you've talked about the you know what it, the types of things that it can cover, and certainly they can be tailored. Uh, what about I guess there's two ways people can leave the business, either planned or unplanned. So the the planned exits, are, I guess uh, you, you mentioned change of life. People want to move into state, or they just decide they don't want to do that that business anymore. Yeah. Um, so what would be some of the things you might document? Uh, that would be wise to document in, in those sorts of, I guess, you know, it would be unreasonable to say, well, okay, I'm, I'm now packing up and I'm moving to, to live in eastern Mongolia um, and expect to keep control of the business. It would be unfair to the other business partners. How, how, how do you address that? 
So one of the things you can look at putting in if someone's really crucial to the day-to-day running of the business is tying their involvement as a shareholder and director into their employment. So you can actually put clauses in that say if they cease to be an employee for whatever reason, they are forced to sell their shares in those circumstances. So there are circumstances where someone's happy to be a silent investor, everyone's happy with that, but other times that person is really where a lot of the value of the business is, so it's important to keep them there. The other things you can look at is what sort of time frame do they have to give you if they're going to leave. So some businesses it might be appropriate to have a month and they can walk out and someone else can take over. Other businesses it might be a year's worth of transition or they might sell out and stay on as a consultant and assist whoever the new owners are after that. It really depends on the nature of the business and how easy it is to either sell down to one of the other partners or bring someone else into it. The other thing to look at is other reasons why they might leave. So in terms of unplanned leaving, it can be something like there's an illness or a death or something like that. And you need to make sure that the transition is as simple and straightforward as possible in a difficult time because there's enough to worry about there anyway. Or the other way is if someone is doing something that is damaging the business's reputation or they aren't abiding by the terms of the shareholders agreement or any employment agreements and actually forcing them to sell down their shares in the business. So defining what would be considered a default event that would be serious enough to force them out. So it can be things like if they've been made bankrupt, if they've been convicted of a criminal offence or any of those sorts of things. And again, they can be tailored to whatever's important for an industry and also looking at the value of their shares if they are forced to sell. So what's common is to reduce the valuation of the shares in the event that someone is forced out of the business to compensate the other owners for the loss of value. So, for example, if someone's convicted of an offence and it's high profile and it damages the business, you can discount the value by 25 or 50% or whatever else it might be that you agree at the outset. Whereas if someone's leaving because they're seriously ill or passed away, then in those circumstances, it may not be reasonable to discount it. So again, that can be changed as much as needed in the circumstances. Okay, yep, makes a lot of sense. And and, and one of the things, uh, and obviously that insurance is a specific specialty area, so we won't go too deep into it, but um, in the event of death or serious illness, typically unplanned, no one... No one uh, the you know in this in the stereotypical example you might have two families that own a part of the business and it might be two best mates that have gone into business together and it's all going well one of them gets sick or killed um and the the the, the spouse of the surviving partner typically in, inherits the shares and they're now in business with uh, uh the, the the surviving best mate now he may not want to be in business with his deceased mate's spouse or or could be a state um so one of the what, what are some of the things people can do to to ensure that both the estate and the, the business and the surviving um, business partner is protected well first off the first option is to do nothing at all in which case you end up in business if someone you hadn't planned to be often in really sudden circumstances um it's either going to work out reasonably well in that someone can negotiate to buy shares, everyone's happy with that. But worst case is the spouse wants to sell down their shares and the other person doesn't have sufficient money to buy them out at that time. So they're basically stuck in business with each other unless they can come to another arrangement. The other option is to have what's called buy-sell insurances in place, which is set up for circumstances where someone who is a shareholder or director in the business passes away suddenly or is totally and permanently disabled. And what it effectively does is cover circumstances where the remaining business partners want to buy out their equity in the company. 
because it allows them to take control of the company. It allows the spouse and the family to get fair value for it and allows things to continue on. So it's something that not many people consider unless they're really aware of it, but it's worth at least looking into at the outset. And it's something where if you don't put it in place in the first instance, it might be the business is new and it might not be worth it at that stage, but it's something that can be reviewed as you go along and working out where the pressure point is. If someone was to die suddenly, could you buy them out or are you going to have issues? Yeah, because I, I guess, you know, if you've got a $2 million business, each partner's worth a share of a, a million each, most people don't have a million dollars in the bank account liquid ready to go. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and also the business may struggle without that key person as well. So having having a defined plan uh, I think is really important so that one, the spouses of the, who's, of the person who's just died is protected, um, but also um, the surviving partner gains control of the business and isn't under pressure to, to come up with money and, and uh, for, uh, which would be tough at short notice and, and you know, it would just be a horrible circumstance. And I've, I've seen the worst where uh, option one is do nothing and then the, the estate is then in business with um, the surviving business partner and it was just decision-making became a nightmare. Whereas before, in the olden days, it was decided over a chat in the boardroom in two minutes. Maybe someone says, no, I don't want to expand the business, don't want to grow, and, and the business just comes to a halt and it, it just drives everyone nuts. So uh, I think that's just got to be attended to in the in the shareholders' agreement. Yeah, and it's probably one aspect of a shareholders' agreement that would get reviewed more often than the other provisions. So when you're starting a business, you're not sure whether it's going to succeed or not, so you might decide at that point it's not worth having insurances, but five years down the track when it is worth $2 million, that's a different point in time. So it can either be incorporated into the existing agreement and updated, or you can actually have a separate agreement that addresses the insurances that ties in with the shareholders' agreement. Yeah, so not set and forget, not necessarily something you have to review every six months, but you know, it's something that I, I like to at least raise with with our clients uh, in multi-partner businesses annually. Say, look, what's in place? Does that feel about right? Yes, great, and move on. Or hey, no, let's get someone in and we'll just we'll just tweak it so that if anything happens, all parties are treated fairly. And like we discussed earlier, while everyone's getting on, it's far easier to make a decision, particularly if one person's six foot under. Uh, your ability to uh, be involved in conversations becomes particularly difficult. So uh, that, that's that's really important to, to just constantly review uh, with with your advisor. So um, many people, uh, no one ever, no one ever goes into business with someone that they're going to have a business dispute with, um, and no one ever marries anyone that they plan on divorcing. Uh, but it but it happens, right? So uh, I I guess I, I often talk to people about hey, well everything's going well, let's do this because obviously once the dispute starts, it's too late to to get these agreements in place. Uh, can you do these things yourself? Look, you could, but the quality of the job that you do might be questionable depending on your experience and knowledge. What I find a lot of the time is people don't anticipate the level of detail we can go into with some of these agreements. So, for example, the process for board meetings being called and being held and so on, we might sometimes have quite lengthy provisions in there and people say, look, most of the time we won't do this, we'll do something else. But what we've got to look at when we're preparing these agreements is they're only going to be pulled out if there is an issue. Every other time, if people are happy to have a board meeting, whenever not having 
lots of notice and all those sorts of things, it's fine. But it's when you're not talking to each other and you need to force a board meeting that you're going to be looking at these provisions. And if you want to be able to enforce anything, it needs to be drafted up professionally by an expert so that it's enforceable. Yeah, and sometimes it helps having a neutral person in the room raising all sorts of issues that you might not have considered as well. So most people, as you said, don't go into business thinking there's going to be a dispute, so they're not considering what's going to happen if something goes wrong. So having someone bring that to their attention and making them have that conversation is really useful. Yeah, and that, and that's, I guess, part of your role as an advisor to just tease out these these things out, out of people bef- so that they, they can address them before because they've never thought about it. So, um, we've seen the worst case scenarios as well. So we know exactly how it can go wrong and all the different things that might come out of the woodwork. Whereas if you haven't seen that side of it before, you might not realise the extent to which things can go wrong and all the types of issues that can crop up. And which I, I guess was my next question. You know, what are the, the, the costs of not, well, uh, and I guess costs of not doing, not, not doing it or not doing it well? Um, A lot of it depends on the size of the business and what's actually in dispute. So if you've got a relatively small business where no one's done anything particularly wrong, you just don't like each other, you can be looking at potentially a few thousand dollars to work through negotiations if everyone's reasonably happy. If there are a few sticking points, you can end up going backwards and forwards for months if not years if you can't reach an agreement because outside of going to court or winding up a company there is no real way to force a resolution without a shareholders agreement so the worst case scenario is you're in business with someone they've gone and made all sorts of decisions that aren't appropriate aren't proper and are outside what you might have agreed in a shareholders agreement and potentially even illegal Um, and then you go into court to try and unwind transactions and get money back from them and suing them for breaching director duties and all those sorts of things. So if you've got a large business and things really haven't been done properly, then potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars in the worst case. Right. And and you're talking about legal costs there. Yeah. Um, but then just from a commercial nature, yeah. um, like, like we touched on earlier, like the, the costs of, you know, someone just walks out. Sometimes the, the synergies from having two halves of a business uh, adds up to a lot less than a, than a whole. So if someone walks out and says, right, I'm leaving – both the, the business can be ripped apart, and if it's not, um, I guess if if what's being if the business is ripped apart by someone leaving and there's no nothing enforceable, it'd be very expensive to without a partnership agreement or shareholders agreement to to go and take action. So if they're if they're misbehaving and they're walking out without any agreement in place, very costly for you to to go and uh, seek any remedies, I guess, and. And the main remedy is seeking orders to wind up the company. And if the company is still solvent and trading well, that's even harder. If the company is insolvent, there are processes that are reasonably straightforward to go through. But if you've got a solvent company and there's a shareholder dispute and one person doesn't have 75% of the control, it is significantly harder to seek orders for winding up and significantly more costly. So, uh, well, look, thanks, Michelle. Like, you've, you've covered off on, you know, just at a, at a higher level just the importance of an agreement. Um, every client that I've seen that's had one might have joined us and then all of a sudden they're in dispute. They never envisaged this could happen, but that's the whole point, right? So let, let's, uh, I guess, the, the lesson for all of us uh, from this chat is, uh, I guess, get out there and just take action now um, if you don't have something. So, um, but now before we, we before we wrap up though, always good to know a little bit about, about our guests on the podcast. Um What's the best thing about what you do? I get to see a lot of different people and businesses 
and get to know about a lot of different industries. It's something that I wouldn't get an opportunity to see in lots of different fields. I think seeing people at both their best and their worst is very interesting and eye-opening. So we rarely see people kind of in the middle ground. It's always when something's going really well or something's going really wrong. So you learn a lot about people and life in general. Great. Yeah, that's very true. Their best and their worst. And what, uh, and this is the Get to the Contest Small Business Podcast. So from your experience in, in being an advisor um, for, for growing businesses, um, what do you see are common traits that people focus on? If, you know, what, what do people do really well that you think is really important? Sign of success. Or if you do that, people are going to be successful. I think paying attention to detail is really, really important. Some people are very high-level thinkers and other people really focus on the details. But if you look at the broader picture without considering everything else that goes with it, then it can often lead to problems, particularly because the way that businesses are required to operate recently has become a lot more complicated. There's been lots of changes to laws that people aren't really aware of and you've got to stay on top of it to avoid falling into traps. And, of course, having a great... Uh, legal advisor will always help them with that, I'm sure. And a good accountant. <laughs> now, you're only a, a young uh, professional yourself, but what advice would you give yourself from 10 years ago about making your way in the, the rough and tumble of professional services? Um, I think just go for it because it doesn't matter how much you plan or expect that you know what's going to come. you just got to experience it for yourself. So law school is very, very different to what it's like in practice. So you can't anticipate really what something's going to be like until you go for it. And if it doesn't work out, move on to something else. Um, what book or movie has influenced your life? Or TV show, may I say? I knew you were going to say that. So I'd say probably The Simpsons because it relates to every situation, as I think you've already discovered for yourself. <laughs> uh, correct and correct. That is the perfect answer. Um, and, and look, lastly... Um, what bit of tech can't you live without day to day, whether it's personal or, or, or business related? Look, probably my phone. So I think it does everything that I do from day to day. So emails, phone calls, everything else, it's all in one place. So it makes life a lot easier. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you for being a part of the podcast. There's uh, plenty of great content there. Now, if people want to... Uh, uh, perhaps ask you some more questions or get some more information about what, what steps they should take to perhaps their shareholders agreement in place, uh, where can they find you? So I'm at Aubrey Brown Lawyers, which is at Tugra and Erina. So you can find us on our website, aubreybrown.com.au. We've also got a Facebook page and the phone number is 4350 Great. Well, well, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast. Thanks, Warwick. Well, that was our chat with Michelle Aitken from Aubrey Brown on all things uh, shareholder agreement. Uh, a couple of key takeaways from that chat with Michelle. Um, look, one, just spend the money to get the agreement done up front. Uh, phenomenal cost, really, if you're going to be in business for a number of years. And doing it now will save you so much grief down the track. And it may actually have value. Well, it will have value even if you never use it because the simple act of preparing it at the very beginning sets the rules, sets the expectations. And as we talked about, everyone's playing the same sport. Everyone knows their responsibilities. And uh, that, that's the best time to address any any misunderstandings because you don't want to get uh, you know, six months, a year, two years down the track and all of a sudden things are changing and, oh, well, no, I never thought it was going to be like this. I thought you have got to do something else, do this, do that. And, and then we're having challenging conversations that are already well and truly... Um, married in a business sense. So 
get it done at the beginning. Two, getting it done at the beginning will save you significant costs. So those costs are, of course, uh, the legal costs, uh, but also the emotional costs uh, of these things dragging out and the, the just the flat-out business costs because your, your, your team, your clients, your reputation, the quality of your work, the, the attention to detail, the ability to grow business, that will all go south if you're in a, a messy uh, business shareholders dispute. Uh, you just can't focus on servicing your clientele and that's going to be very costly over and above your standard legal fees. Michelle talked about uh, the importance of getting getting these things done professionally and, and really tailoring it. So they're not they're not a, a cookie cutter one size fits all. So get in, speak to speak to your advisor, speak to you know the good lawyers that's an expert in these areas, and get them to you know set the rules specifically around your business. So anything you've got in your head, get those conversations out, get them onto paper, and, and agree them up front. So, you know, whatever industry you're going to be in or the unique uh, things about your business, get them documented if they're important. A key part of a partnership agreement is documenting exit strategies, both uh, planned and unplanned. So Michelle covered off on that, being really clear about uh, how things are going to be valued, what are the rules, how much notice is going to be given. That's just going to protect everyone. So if you do want to leave, and no, no, no one is necessarily going to be in business with someone forever, uh, but you can leave uh, knowing the rules and not feeling like you, you, you're stuck in a, uh, a, a business arrangement. And conversely, uh, it's understood that you just can't get up and walk away at a day's notice uh, so and, and leave the other partners or, or shareholders hanging. So just to get, get those things documented up front, it makes for a far easier uh, exit uh, should you want to go. Um, also, the, the, the unplanned exits... That's where, you know, health events, um, disablement or, or, or even death, that, 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 you know, none of us plan for these things, but the fact of life, they happen. So protecting both the surviving shareholder and also the, the, the estate or the spouse um, of, of, the, of the person who's disabled or, or passed away, um, get those, you want to make sure that both those parties are protected, you know, things such as a buy-sell. So... We want to make sure that the surviving spouse is, is you know, covered ideally through some sort of insurance policy or whatnot, so they're paid out and leaving the business to be run by the surviving part, uh, business partner uh, without having the burden of being in business with someone who they, frankly, may not want to be in business with. And conversely, um, making sure that the surviving business partner uh, can um, confidently remove the... the the spouse and has the funds available to pay them so that everyone can just you know make a difficult time uh, as easy as possible because it's all been documented and planned for so reviewing that buy sell agreement regularly was something uh, Michelle talked about and uh, you know it's just once a year at your annual general meeting with your accountant really good idea just have it on your checklist tick it off needs revisiting great so there's some of the key things about a a shareholders agreement so if you are a multi-partner business uh, or if you are a, a multi-family business or if you're thinking about or just thinking about going into business you need these agreements so do it at the beginning get the rules sorted and your life will be so much easier so some great tips there from michelle 
and uh, hopefully got something out of it. Uh, we look forward to having you uh, on the next episode of the Get to the Contest Small Business Podcast. Bye for now.